Hi everybody, I'm John Sherwood and this is my podcast where I seek to fuel faith in Jesus in the 21st century. I'm a minister of the gospel and believe in making disciples who make disciples because Jesus really is beautiful and amazing and worth following with everything that we have. You can check out more resources at my website, johnsherwood.com, where I write about the intersection of faith and modern culture, as well as Bible study, leadership, and faith interviews, all designed to help ignite and fuel faith in Jesus Christ. And with all that, let's dive into the episode. Thank you guys for being here this morning. Uh, We are going to continue in our series. My name is John. I'm the head minister head pastor, clergy folk around here, I suppose, Uh, but you can just call me John. Um, So the government, I believe, in this country is shut down, so I hear, is that correct? Uh, Has that negatively affected anyone yet? Uh, We apologize for that, Um, sorry. Uh, But you know what? Jesus has not shut down, nor his kingdom, nor the church this morning, and uh, I wanted to start out with a prayer, if you don't mind. Let's pray together. I urge you then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior. And Father, we do want to pray for the kings and rulers and leaders of the world and this land across the globe, Father, that you would guide and direct them to allow us to lead holy and godly lives. Father, help us as we live as foreigners and aliens, exiles in this world. Help our our allegiance to truly be to Jesus and his kingship and his kingdom, even above the kingdom of the land that we live in currently. God, help our political ideals, visions, opinions to never trump Jesus' ideals and opinions and vision and ideals. And God, we know that as we pray, we want to be a part of what your heart desires. We want our heart's desires to be your heart's desires. We want to hate what you hate and love what you love, and we want to be an active part of your kingdom in this world, living as foreigners and exiles and sojourners. And God, that's, that's not easy for us to do. And you know, you understand, you came and lived as an exile amongst us. Even Jesus' own people rejected him and ultimately murdered him. And we call him Lord and we follow him. And God help us to never be timid or back down, but to overcome evil with good and to love even our enemies that persecute us. In Jesus' name, amen. 2 Peter chapter 1, if you don't mind, let's go ahead and jump in. 2 Peter has been uh, the theme passage for our series as of late. We're starting to come to the end of this series. And the last couple of weeks, you know, James and Ad have preached on godliness and perseverance. I'm really grateful for that. Um, And thank you guys for being here in the new year, 2019. Uh, For some of us, that can feel a bit daunting, overwhelming. Maybe 2018 wasn't quite the year that you were wanting or hoping. Perhaps there's some anxiety or insecurity looking forward. Uh, But for many of us, you know, the mark of a new year is a time to 
reflect back and to look forward. It can feel energizing and hopeful or not so much. And no matter where we're at, no matter what the seasons or our calendars signify, we can always bring our minds and our hearts back to something greater. His divine power in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. <clears throat> Though these, or through these, He has given us His very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. And for this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness mutual affection and to mutual affection love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them Whoever does not have these attributes, these qualities, they are nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Peter here talks about adding to our faith. And over the past several weeks, we've been talking about adding to our faith these specific things that he mentions. I don't believe that Peter meant or desired for this list to necessarily be exhaustive, right? But it's certainly a great gateway. It's a great entryway into thinking about what should it look like as we mature in Christ. You know, we have Rebecca who just came into Christ. We're super excited about that. The angels in heaven are rejoicing over that. And then we have some of us, you know, old fuddy-duddy has been walking with Jesus since the earth cooled, you know, or whatever. No matter where we're at in that process of walking with Jesus and spiritual maturation, Peter's saying that we should continue to increase. We should continue to add. We should continue to grow. That's not always easy to do, though, is it? At times, we become stagnant, not only in our faith, but in all areas of life, right? And if you've been walking with Jesus for more than a couple of days, you've probably realized that your growth is not linear. It does not go like that. It sometimes goes more like that. And it's a bit of a mixed bag. And so what we've been talking about here is that in the midst of our lives being like this, Peter's instructing us, right, through the guidance of God's Holy Spirit. And he's saying, look, if you want to be effective, productive, he even links it at the end. He talks about receiving a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of God. He's even linking these concepts with our own eternal reward, salvation and eternal life itself. And he's saying, look, make every effort. Train yourself. And you know, that's not easy either. If you've ever trained for something for more than a day, that's hard, especially to do it over long periods of time. You know, I got into triathlons once upon a time. It feels like another life ago. And I got my wife to do one with me. That was really amazing. Uh, we did uh, what's called a sprint triathlon, which is like the shortest version. Um, the total race time is probably an hour and a half or something. 
But I got into it and I trained for an Ironman, which is typically the longest distance triathlon that there is. Uh, there are doubles and triples, but no one regular has ever heard of those because no one does them really, but like three crazy people on the planet. And I trained for about a year getting ready for this race. And this was back in 2010. And it wasn't like from couch to 5K. Like I was already in decent shape when I started my training over the course of a year. And for a year, I trained for this race. And I won't tell you all the details. I did finish. It was ugly. I was hurting. It was rough. Uh, I spent 45 minutes in the med tent afterward. Um, it was rough. But there were many points along the way of one year, one year of a human life that I was training that I got discouraged. I've had setbacks. I had injuries. I didn't feel like getting up before the sun to go you know, run and ride a bike and swim. I mean, who swims, right? Like, that's just a don't die kind of skill, not just like, I'm going to have fun and go swim two and a half miles today. You know, but I was weird and stupid. So, so I did it and I was having fun. But as you train for something, again, it's not linear. Your motivation isn't always the same, right? We wax and we wane. And Peter's talking about that concept here. He's talking about what that looks like as we translate that into our spiritual lives. And today we're going to talk a little bit about the next one that he mentions here towards the very end, mutual affection. What the NIV says, mutual affection. Some of your versions might read brotherly kindness or brotherly love or brotherly affection. Here it's mutual affection. And then next week we're going to close out this series on this last one that he mentions, love. And next week is actually going to be an Epic Ministry-led service. Epic Ministry is our local young population ministry standing for everyday people imitating Christ. And they're going to be leading our service. A couple of the young brothers, Chad and Harrison, are going to be preaching the word to us. We're going to hear from Leah, her conversion story, why she loves Jesus. And they're going to be talking about love. So please don't miss that. That's going to help us kick off this semester for the students as they go back to school and so forth. So today, <clears throat> mutual affection. Does anybody know what this word is that the NIV is translating mutual affection in the original language? Philo del fia. It's a city of brotherly love. Philadelphia is actually the word here in the original language in 2 Peter 1. And, you know, we borrowed that word to name one of our cities the city of brotherly love. And so this word that the NIV translates mutual affection, that some of your translations will translate brotherly kindness or brotherly love. It's actually one of the four primary Greek words to describe love. And so the next word, love, and this one are very similar. There is a shared commonality there. But as we're thinking about adding to our faith, training, right? Because again, the context of all of this is training. So that, what? So that, he says, we won't forget that our past sins have been forgotten, or past sins have been forgiven, so that we won't be ineffective and unproductive. Have you ever felt ineffective and unproductive as a Christian in your faith? Rebecca, you felt that yet? Yeah, oh, already? Wow, okay. Well, amen. If you haven't, and you've been following Jesus for more than a couple of weeks, it's coming, or you're just really deceived. So, um, you know, that might be a different conversation. But we can become ineffective and unproductive. 
And guess what? So did the Christians that Peter was talking to. Peter himself knew Jesus, walked with him for years, saw him physically risen from the grave. Perhaps some of the people he's writing to maybe even were there. And he's saying, we got to guard against becoming ineffective and unproductive. Why would he do that unless it was a reality? And so don't get too down on yourself and feel like you're the scum of the Christian kingdom. If you feel ineffective and unproductive in your faith, that is a part of what it means to be a Christian. But we've got to guard against being okay with staying there. And one of the things he talks about that we're going to dive into specifically today is adding to our faith, increasing in measure in Philadelphia, in brotherly love. Let's go to Romans chapter 12. Romans 12, we're going to talk a little bit here about this idea of brotherly love. What does brotherly love look like? How do I do that? In Romans 12, <coughs> in verse 10, I'll start in verse 9, it says, Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. You know how he uses that word cling? When I hear cling, you know what I think of? Plastic wrap. <laughs> cling wrap. That stuff doesn't cling to anything but itself. It's like, what kind of useful, kind of silliness? Probably horrible for the environment, too. It probably has like a 12,000 year half-life. Anyways, verse 10. That's the verse I'm wanting to get to. Sorry for my ranting. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. He goes on. He says, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Verse 10. He says, be devoted to one another in love honor one another above yourselves. So this is Paul here writing. So it's not the same guy we were just reading, but Paul here is saying that he's connecting this idea of being devoted to each other in love, being devoted to loving one another. He connects that concept with honoring others above ourselves. Have you ever felt like, man, I wish somebody would devote themselves to me in love and honor me above themselves, you know, Tony and Michael and the whole Usher crew, you know, like serving every week, getting here early, you know, setting up chairs and putting out water bottles and cool little Bibles for people and nice little hand sanitizer. So we're not just swapping germs and they're like, man, I wish somebody would honor me. I know that their hearts aren't that, but it can be easy for us, right, in the midst of honoring others in the midst of loving others, to feel like we're kind of getting the short end of the stick, right? Maybe it's the worship guys who are here setting up, breaking down. I don't know if you notice, we're a gypsy church. We don't own this space. We're very grateful that we get to use it. But you know, it's a lot of work to set up and break down for this gathering every week. And prayerfully, we do it with glad and sincere hearts, but it can be tiresome over time. We can start to feel unappreciated unloved. It can start to grow these little fibers of bitterness, little fibers of discontentment. And that's just when we meet here like once a week for an hour or so. Now apply these concepts to what you do for most of your life. Work. For most people, most of your life is spent working. And that good old Genesis story comes into play, doesn't it? Toiling, about a sweat of your brow, 
and the land don't give you jack, but thorns and thistles. And then we magnify that out into our current industrialized culture, and we can be grinding at work. Those fibers of bitterness, discontentment, feeling unappreciated, un undervalued, questioning, is this really meaningful? Am I, does this have purpose? Is this actually contributing anything of value? Or am I stuck in some sort of hamster's wheel? This can erode our faith. This can make us ineffective and unproductive. And Peter's talking about, man, we have to make every effort to add, to increase. So think about that for a minute. What would Philadelphia look like in these hamster wheel environments? These environments where there's roots of bitterness or discontentment or underappreciation. It can be hard to love, right? In, a, in an environment where we don't feel loved. And I love where Peter ends that passage. He says, if we're not doing that, we've forgotten how loved we really are. And so when we take our eyes off of God, when we take our eyes off the fact of our many sins, past, present, and future, have been forgiven in Jesus, it becomes much easier for us to become unloving because we don't feel loved. And that's the Christian gospel, right? Is that we love because God loved us first. And here Paul says that we need to honor one another above yourselves. We can't honor others above ourselves if we don't really deeply believe that we're honored by God. And that that honor that we have received from God, that God would see fit to love us first, even when we didn't deserve it, even when we didn't care, even when Paul earlier in Romans 5 says that when we were still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. Then, and only then, when we really are moved and compelled and believe that we're honored by God innately just because he created us, not because of what we're doing, good or bad, but because he loves us then from that wellspring, we can honor others. We can love others. We can love our brothers. And I see examples of this kind of brotherly kindness in the church all the time. You know, I think about the All Reds driving over to Greenville to be with the Imes just the other day during a difficult time. I think about people driving from all over the state to come be with the hunts. I think about my wife going to take a meal up to Tongai, you know, in another state yesterday. This is what brotherly kindness looks like, to honor others above ourselves. I think about the Facellas who are just moving here from Columbia, South Carolina, sort of in a phase of over Christmas. We moved them twice. Once into a storage unit and once into their home. Brotherly kindness. They don't know anybody here, really. And there's so many stories like that. How can that happen? Strangers. I was on the phone yesterday with a guy I've never met before who lives in another state. And after an hour, he said, if you want to come here, and, you know, we're talking about being a part of this conference or something. He said, if you want to come here, you can stay at my house. I had never met him before in my life. That's Philadelphia. That's what it looks like to honor others above yourselves. And only in Jesus can this kind of thing truly happen. Sometimes, you know, for me, naturally, it can be hard to really wrap my head around brotherly love. Why? Because I ain't got no brothers. I grew up as an only child. 
light bulbs are going off in all y'all's heads right now. Oh, that makes some sense. Okay. <clears throat> it's okay. Only children. Nothing wrong with us. We just don't know how to love sometimes very well, especially in this brotherly love kind of way. And that can be hard for me because naturally, you know, I didn't have that experience, I didn't have that framework, I didn't have that context. And that's no one's fault, but this can be a struggle for me. But as a Christian, I've learned what brotherly love means from the greatest brother that has ever existed. Jesus is our perfect brother and friend. John 15, 15, he says, I no longer call you servants, but instead I now call you friends. Why? Because a servant doesn't know his master's business, but I have told you everything that the Father has made known. Jesus says, you know what? You're no longer my servants, though that is an appropriate role for you. Let that sink in for a moment. This is also the crux of the gospel. We have to come face to face with who we are. We have been created from dust, and to dust we shall return. We are very finite, very temporary beings. We can't even make this world do what we want it to do. We can't even make our own lives do what we want them to do. And Jesus says, I am the master. I do have all power. The Bible talks about how Jesus was there when all things were created and all things have been created through him, including you and me. That can be a very offensive affront to human beings. Why? Because you ain't king. And he says, but, but I no longer call you servants. I now call you my friends. What? God's like, I just created everything and you're my friend. What? You think about your own life. Do you feel worthy to be the creator God's friend? Oh my goodness. What great news is that? In Hebrews, the writer says that both the one who makes people holy, who would that be? The one who makes people holy, the master, right? The one that we're talking about, Jesus, and those who are made holy, who would that be? Jesus' friends, who he no longer calls servants, they are of the same family. What does that mean? We're siblings. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. I'm like, wow, if you really believe that Jesus is who he says that he is, the Son of God, that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him, and he says, you're my brother, you're my sister, you're not a servant, you are so much greater than this dust temporary shell that breaks down over the course of a few decades. No, he says, you're my brother, you're in my family with God the Father himself. I just want to fall down and like be a dang, you know? What? And Peter's saying, Brotherly love, brotherly kindness. Philadelphia, this is what it looks like for us to increase in measure, to be effective and productive in our faith, is to love actually like Jesus loves us. In 1 John 3.16, he says, This is how we, Christians, know what love is. 
You ever wondered what love is? Love is such a... What do I want to say? Love is such a culturally ambiguous term. Love can mean so many things to so many people. And the Bible says, you want to know how we can know what love is? Check this out. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, so, you know, we need to do the same things for our brothers and sisters. What? Well, I thought love was about me feeling really good and getting all those warm and fuzzies. I thought love was about the happy ending, the, the happily ever after ending of Disney that has perpetuated my whole cultural reality for all of my life. Where is that ending? Where's my little castle and my prince and white steed? I thought love was just some socially constructed false reality that we humans clamor after to make ourselves feel valued, important, and worthy. We can have a lot of different understandings of love. And God says, you want to know what love is? Lay down your life for other people. Because that's what God did for us. And he says, come follow me. But boy, going back to that linear thing, right? Try to lay down your life for some people for a little while. And see if it just goes like this, ever in increasing measure. Now you're going to be like that. And then that. And then you're going to go like that. And this is where I want us to embrace the fact that we have to train and make every effort, please do not be deceived that adding to your faith, increasing in measure of these things, being effective and productive in our faith, that that's going to happen without us training. Please don't be deceived. It's not going to happen by us translating our American culture of comfort and pleasure into our spiritual lives so that you can sit and I can sit on our spiritual couch and watch our spiritual Netflix seven hours a day and think that we're going to continue to be effective and productive in our faith. It doesn't work like that. And ironically, that spiritual couch and that spiritual Netflix is often very closely correlated to the actual couch and the actual Netflix and so on and so forth. Because our spiritual lives are not a compartment of the rest of our lives. We're integrated whole people, and everything is connected. And so let's be careful that we're not coming into some deception that makes us think that we can sort of train spiritually in a way that makes us feel good or in a way that we kind of think about training in other areas. Laying down our lives, it can be challenging. It can hurt. We're not always going to feel like doing that. Sometimes we will, and sometimes we will gain great joy and satisfaction in the midst of doing that. For Jesus said it's better to serve than to be served. But we're not always going to have that kind of motive. And so as we kind of wrap up here and <clears throat> as we get ready to close out the series next week talking about love and hearing from some of our young brothers, which just by the way, I want to really encourage and commend the young brothers that are willing to come up here and preach the word to us, right? And I want to encourage us that we have open hearts and receptive ears and supportive minds and, and hearts as we engage this, right? 
And this is the cool thing is that we've been talking about this a lot over this past year here as a church family. We don't want to come here just to be entertained. We don't want to come here just to consume religious goods and commodities. But we want to come here to give, to engage, to be a part of this family and this fabric that God wants to create. Because in that family and in that fabric, He is displayed. Because it shows that we're brothers and sisters with Him and with each other. Let's close in prayer. Father, a brotherly kindness, brotherly affection, mutual affection. I think about all the weird side hugs that we can give each other and how, you know, people off the streets can come in and they get some of those sneaky side hugs and can feel a little weird. And I remember how I felt when I first experienced those old sneaky side hugs. And people didn't stand at a distance and give me a handshake or just not touch me. But God, I remember walking away, even with no knowledge of your scriptures, feeling like, wow, that that was different. And now I'm able to understand, Father, that it was your love permeating through these men and women that I was experiencing. Even though I couldn't put words to it, I didn't fully understand it, I was experiencing that love. And I pray, Father, that as we set out to lay down our lives for one another, that it would always, always, always be motivated by the fact that you loved us first, that you have given us everything we need for a life of godliness, that all of your great and precious promises, we can hold on to them because you are faithful to yourself. You have never let us down. You have never lied. Father, we don't understand all things. Many times we are confused. We don't understand why Emily got cancer. We don't understand why Kiana and Chris were in accidents, vehicular accidents the last few weeks. God, we don't understand why all things happen, but we trust and we believe and we know that you are sovereign over it all and that you are working for the good of those who love you. And that you are bringing to completion the good work that you have started in each one of us, God. Help us to add to our faith, to increase in measure, in perseverance, godliness, mutual affection, love. Father, help us to continue to grow. Help us to not become lulled to sleep by the evil one. To know that this is a spiritual war. And many times we don't feel that way, God, because there's no bullets flying over our head. Most of us don't struggle to know where our next meal or next week's worth of meals are coming from. And God, it can feel very unlike a war. But we know that you tell us there is a war raging on, whether we see it or not, it's happening. And God, I pray that you would strengthen us, that you would help us to identify the true enemy and it's not each other. It's not flesh and blood. It can feel like that a lot to us, Father. I know you felt that. Jesus was persecuted wrongly to such an intense degree, and yet he knew the true enemy. And he said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Jesus, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for doing what we could never do ourselves. 
Help us to honor you, to follow you, to imitate you, to make every effort to make our election and calling sure. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this Faith Fuel podcast. We look forward to seeing you next time.